welcome to the Geek Saga podcast series, Hot D Takes, covering HBO's House of the Dragon, episode by episode. Hi, I'm Tara Lynn of Geek Saga Entertainment, and welcome to Hot D Takes. This podcast series covers HBO's House of the Dragon episode by episode with myself, an avid reader of all things Aeswath, and my friend Manny, a Game of Thrones fan who is unsullied, aka has never read the books, being your stalwart hosts. So first things first, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at A Geek Saga. And I'm Manny, the aforementioned unsullied co-host, and you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Benissimo Art. Thanks for joining our ninth episode, which will cover episode nine of House of the Dragon, The Green Council. As a reminder, expect spoilers from the episode we're covering, but less obvious, there will be very minimal book spoilers from Fire and Blood, which is, of course, the source material for House of the Dragon. We'll start with an episode summary, then cover what we think are the main hot takes from the episode, and conclude with an episode-specific favorites roundup. We also have a rating system that we will, like true Targaryens, fill in when and where we please, and that system includes rating things on a scale of 1 to 10 Targ eyebrows. Last but not least, each week we're joined by a special guest. This week it's Ashley, co-host of the longest-running Ace Waff podcast, a podcast of Ice and Fire, and my fellow Ice and Firecon small council member. Ashley, where can everyone find you on social media? The easiest way is Twitter, where I'm Ashley Clegane. It's mostly random fandom stuff, not specifically Song of Ice and Fire, but that's the easiest. Otherwise, just a podcast of, or podcast of IceandFire.com. No A. All right. Well, we are super excited to have you join us. Now, just one last piece of business before we dig in. Don't forget the Geek Saga Entertainment now has a Patreon. With 10 tiers ranging from $1 a month to $40 a month, it offers tons of ways to support us and receive some great perks in return, including early access to these Hot D Takes podcast episodes. You can check it out at patreon.com slash geeksaga underscore entertainment. And now it's time for the long and the short of it, our weekly episode summary. Picture it, the Red Keep, 129 AC. As we the viewers know, King Viserys I has just passed away, but now it's up to the little servant boy to spread the word on screen. It's probably not too far-fetched to assume that this particular little boy is in the employ of Missaria, seeing as he goes right to Allison's handmaid, Talia, with the news, though to be fair, perhaps he just didn't know where else to go. But as we digress, Talia receives this word of the king's death and does at least report it to Alicent first. Alicent, who is visibly upset, though the reasons for this are probably less about love for her husband, the king, and more in the, holy shit, what the F am I supposed to do about this now realm? Well, first things first, Allison orders Talia to tell no one and to stay put while she runs off to tell good old Otto, not about the king's death, but about her wildly misinterpretation of Viserys' last words. Now Talia might be relegated to remaining in the Red Keep, but that doesn't stop her from lighting a big old candelabra. This is apparently a message to Miseria, apparently one that specifically shouts the king is dead. But we can't be the only ones wondering how the heck it reveals such a specific message and is somehow obviously visible enough from all the way in the city from the Red Keep. Oh well, perhaps that's neither here nor there considering we next jump right into the late night small council meeting in which Otto and 
Allison announced that Viserys did say that he wanted Aegon to succeed him, which most of the small council members are relieved about because it turns out they've been plotting and scheming to put Aegon on the throne anyways. With the exception of Lord Beesbury, that is, who vehemently disagrees with the entire conversation and earns the small council attendance sphere to the brain, courtesy of one far too spicy Sir Cole of House Law for his troubles. Rip Lord Beesbury, thank you for attempting to your service to our gal Rhaenyra. That said, Beesbury wasn't alone in disagreeing with some of what's going on, because as soon as her pops starts waxing on about how they need to imprison and probably kill off Rhaenyra and her family, Allison speaks up in defense of her once friend, now stepdaughter, refusing to believe that murder is the only way to go. Not that most of the rest of the small council listens to her, as good old Otto immediately orders Lord Commander Westerling to scurry off to Dragonstone and do a quiet murder of Rhaenyra and her whole family. Thankfully, he merely removes his white cloak and basically says to call on him when a new king has been actually crowned, then stalks out of the room, which he's, you know, allowed to do because he's a badass member of the King's Guard and not a poor sputtering old man. Sorry. It's unclear exactly how long that small council meeting actually lasts, but we're guessing no one got any sleep that night because the next thing we know, it's morning and Allison is desperately searching for her eldest son, as is Otto, but Aegon, hereafter known as Baby Gone for his whiny attitude and baby face, is nowhere to be found. Helena clearly has no desire to hear about her father's death or be comforted by her mother, who quickly puts her next plan in motion. That being to send Kristen Cole out searching for the would-be-but-doesn't-want-to-be king, a search that her younger son, Aemond, insists on joining. Unfortunately, Otto moved faster than his daughter, having already assigned his own search to the Kingsguard twins, Eric and Arik, which means it's now just a race against time to see who finds Baby Gone first. Meanwhile, Rainey's awakes to the sound of being locked in her chambers, while all of the Red Keep servants are herded into the dungeon without explanation. Well, without explanation to them, at least, because, of course, we know what's going on. And while the Green Council can't exactly lock up every High Lord and Lady who is present in the Red Keep, Otto does gather them all in the throne room to demand that they bend the knee to Aegon, which most of them do, whether it's because they do, in fact, want to back the male heir or because they see the writing on the wall and know better than to take a stand for Rhaenyra. Lord Merriweather, for one, speaks out, saying he is no oathbreaker, and Lady Fell refuses as well, and both are escorted from the room to what we can only assume are bad ends, considering what we later see of Lord Caswell, who was hesitant but eventually kneeled, only to attempt to leave the Red Keep later, get caught, and end up dead and on display in a courtyard as a warning against others who might attempt to do the same. Speaking of others who might stand against this usurpation, Alicent visits a very angry Rainies in her bedchamber turned prison cell and does her best to convince the older woman of Baby Gon's right to rule, even insisting that they will ensure that Driftmark will end up in the hands of Rainies' daughters. Rainies, however, is not so easily won, going so far as to accuse Alicent of wanting the throne for herself. And so she remains locked in her chambers, apparently until such a time as she agrees to accept Baby Gon's rule. As for the Amazing Race Baby Gon edition, Aemon apparently doesn't know his brother as well as he thought, as Baby Gon is not in fact lounging in a house on the Street of Silk. It appears the Kingsguard twins know the prince a bit better, because while he's not hanging out at the Flea Bottom fighting pits watching children maul each other like they thought he would be, Missaria has people watching the places the prince actually frequents, and one of her messengers meets them there and insists that whoever wants to find Baby Gon should absolutely talk to the White Worm ASAP. Good ol' Otto joins them for this meeting, and it turns out that not only does the White Worm know where the prince is hiding, 
but wants something more than coin in return for this information. That being an end to the flea bottom fighting pits. Otto agrees to look into things, and while it's unclear whether he actually means it, the White Worm's reminder slash threat regarding how she is actually the one putting Baby Gone on the throne will surely come back to haunt him if he doesn't follow through with his promise. It should be noted that throughout their search, Twin Eric, let's call him Twin One, is spilling the tea to his brother about how shitty the prince is. He clearly doesn't think Baby Gone is worthy of being king, but Twin Arik, aka Twin Two, is simply all about doing his duty. This really comes into play when they drag the prince out of his hiding place in a sept and are immediately confronted by Kristen Cole and Aemond, as Twin Two crosses swords with Cole over who gets to bring the prince back to the Red Keep, while Twin One watches from a distance and eventually bows out of the scene entirely. Team Allison wins the day when Kristen beats Twin 2 and Aemon subdues his older yet somehow way younger looking brother and they drag him off to meet with Mommy. But does he? Because we don't actually see a conversation between them until they are in Tara's favorite mobile igloo on their way to Baby Gon's coronation. Instead, we see Allison first meet with good old Otto who sarcastically congratulates her on winning the amazing race. Baby Gon edition. But it kind of seems like Allison has had just about enough of her dad for the moment and straight up tells him how it's going to be. Baby Gon is going to take the throne right now, wearing the crown of Aegon the Conqueror and armed with the Conqueror's sword, Blackfire. And that's it. Oh, and they will offer the most agreeable terms possible to Rhaenyra for accepting Baby Gon as king. Because, yeah, we can totes believe that is actually going to work. Allison probably just really wants to kick her feet up at this point, but maybe not in the way it happens for her. Because Lara's Littlefoot is waiting in her chambers with the intel she needs, but only if she gives him something in return. <laughs> it's a good clear view of her naked. Her naked feet, that is. There's definitely a lot to unpack here, but for the purposes of this summary, we're just going to move on to the fact that Allison now knows Otto has set a bunch of spies on her, as well as everyone else, including her maid, Talia which she might do with this information remains to be seen, though because it is time to revisit Twin One of the Kingsguard, who spirits Rainies away from the Red Keep, insisting that she avoids the Dragon Pit and take a ship away from the city. Unfortunately for Twin One, but let's be real, fortunately for Rainies, they are separated when the City Watch comes around to herd everyone they can into the Dragon Pit to witness Baby Gon's coronation. So Rainies ends up there anyway, and sneaks off into the lower levels, bursting through the floor on her dragon, Maylees, just after Baby Gon is crowned. Her timing is pretty bad for the king, who seemed to be having an unexpectedly good time after receiving advice from Allison on their way to the dragon pit and becoming enamored with hearing the crowd cheering him as he hosted Blackfire over his head. There's definitely a moment where it seems like Rainey's is going to be the pre-Mad King heirs of the story and, you know, burn them all. But that would kind of kill the main conflict in the show before we even get the season two we've been promised. So, of course, she reigns herself and her dragon in and merely stomps out a couple of hundred small folk on her way out the door to presumably warn Rhaenyra that her birthright has been swiped from under her. <laughs> Let's get into hot take number one. Plots, 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 plots. Everybody! Duh, Alicent. Of course they were plotting to put Aegon on the throne and off Rhaenyra and her family behind your back. <laughs> I get why they kept this from her, 
I think that her father, more than she even realizes or recognizes her attachment to Rhaenyra despite their fallout and the other people they kept it from. The Lord Commander of the Kingsguard, because he is sworn to the king, Viserys. So if they were telling him about it, he would have gone to the king, most likely. And I don't know what was up with Beesbury. Maybe they didn't trust him. Maybe they just didn't think he mattered because he hasn't exactly been doing much. Or maybe they just didn't want to give him a heart attack or something. But I guess at least Allison finally realizes just how shitty her father is and starts immediately trying to do something about it by rushing off to be the first to find baby gone after this meeting thoughts on how the first part of this green council went where good a lot of was just putting it all out there yeah we're gonna do some murder what up it, it made yep. me relieved i was kind of worried that they were gonna base it on allison mishearing viseries and i'm like this it was gonna happen either way if you said this or not so i'm glad it didn't rest on her mishearing Aegon or understanding what the king was referring to. So, cause that would have made me upset if it was all because of a misunderstanding. Yeah, these people aren't dumb, man. They've been in the background plotting their plots for years now, decades really even, let's be real. Yeah. I'm kind of surprised that Otto didn't tell her, but it makes sense in hindsight, but like the last episode or the episode before it when um, Amon got slashed, like when he's when he likes like oh now I know that you're strong enough for this and and then after that he goes behind her back and doesn't tell her it, it kind of seemed like they were coming together but apparently not yeah I don't know you're right they, he had years Otto had years to let her in on this plot that they've also apparently been plotting for years and years but he still kept her in the dark and that is a little bit even though he saw what he perceives as her strength which, ugh, puh, puh, whatever, good old Otto, he, I don't know, man, honestly, patriarchy, he's still a man, and he's like, we can't trust this woman to do the job. Maybe he just felt her attachment to Rhaenyra was so strong that it still wasn't safe to involve her in their fucking treason. <laughs> when last week's episode ended, and we all knew what was coming next, it was like the calm before the storm, like, funny enough, like, his death was like the calm before the storm, where it's like, Okay, and let me tell you, this show has not disappointed me. I mean, right off the start, it's just this council. And I'm just like, you know, in my brain, this is where I knew it was going. But I didn't think it was actually going to be like this kind of cool right off the bat. And the way Allison's like locking everybody in, you know, and good old fucking Otto is just like, no <laughs> one's leaving until you bend the fucking knee, you know? And it's like... What an impossible situation to put people into. It's like, bro, you're not even giving me a chance to think about it. Like, you just want me to, like, decide right now? It didn't disappoint, and I, and I loved it. I'm not going to get into further what happens, but it was good. I'm feeling it. Like I said, I guess it's really good that it didn't take that long for Allison to actually kind of see through her father with his just murder them all. <laughs> well, it's kind of, kind of weird how when, like, way back when, when he was telling her that hey, you have to take the throne with Aegon, otherwise Rhaenyra is going to kill your kids, that she never looked at it the other way to be like, hey, if I take the throne, I'm going to have to take her out. I think she doesn't think that way. Mm -hmm. And as much as Allison has been pretty horrible for the past couple episodes, especially, 
the past however many years that's been in House of the Dragon time. I've forgotten when exactly the time skips happen, et cetera. But well, and also I do think that Otto putting that idea in her head, I don't necessarily know that Renera would do that either. Because also the fact of the matter is Baby Gone don't want it. So I kind of feel like this is quite a bit different from what we read in Fire and Blood, because when Viserys dies, Aemond, not Baby Gone though, because Baby Gone, again, don't want it. He's the Jon Snow of of this season. <laughs> but Aemond in the book does say, oh, so, and I'm, I am going to apologize for saying these words, but are we going to have to kneel and kiss Rhaenyra's cunny is basically <laughs> what he says. We're going to have to kneel that bitch and kiss her vagina. <laughs> And I do feel like Eamon probably thinks that in the show, but everything happens so quickly that we don't ever get that rude sort of line from him, which I think was great because, I don't know, man, they might be 20 and like 18 or however old Eamon is, but they're still just kids. And again, baby gone, he don't want it. So for Alicent to, I guess maybe I wonder if she even believed what Otto said when he said, they'll kill your kids. There is a situation where Aegon might not want it. Rhaenyra's might not want to kill him. I think this even happened like with the Elizabethan history where it's like people rally around Aegon even though he doesn't want it and they're still hoisting him up and uh, you got to do something about it. You got to cut off the figurehead because otherwise people are always are still going to rally around that cause even if that person themselves doesn't necessarily want. I know that's poorly worded, but... Well, I mean, actually, that is something that comes up in Game of Thrones, the show, because Maester Aemon tells Jon Snow his history and says, like, I could have been king, and even though I was already sworn to the Maesters, there's a possibility they would have tried to put me on the throne, and I didn't want that. I believed my brother should be king, so... I joined the watch so that they couldn't bug me, basically. So yeah, Alicent might not believe that Renera would actually do that. Renera might not actually ever, well, particularly this Renera that we know in the show, I think in the books is a little bit different, but Renera in the show might have never had that in her mind. You know, just like Alicent doesn't want Renera to die. But unfortunately, like you said, yeah, there's all these plots going on in the background where they're just going to murder whoever the fuck they want. And, and their opinion doesn't matter. Yeah, the people who may or may not have a quote unquote claim to the throne and whether or not they want it might not matter. But that actually takes us kind of directly into hot take number two, which is Dear Sir Cole of House Law. From one Kingsguard to another, you suck. Signed, Lord Commander Harold Westerling. Because listen, what the fuck, Kristen Cole, just murdering Beesberry without a thought, then trying to claim it was to protect Allison's honor, and she's like, y'all, my honor is fine. Leave me, leave me be, leave me be. Just massive eye roll, because he's like, shut the fuck up, and he slams his head down into their little attendance spheres. I don't really know what else to call those. It's like, I'm here. I'm going to put my ball in the setting. I always saw it as like talking balls, you know, like when you're a kid and it's like, well, whoever has the like thing gets to say oh, something. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know yeah. What I'm saying? Like that, that's the way I, I see I, it. I thought that too, but then I never saw them doing that. Yeah, no, they've never done it, but that's just what it made me think of, you know? It's like, oh, now it's your turn to talk. Now it's your turn to get your head smashed, you know? Like, <laughs> 
I could tell if it was an accident or intentional. Oh, with Sir, I don't even know because with fucking Sir Cole, a fucking house dumpster fire, that guy is such a piece of shit. Like, he is such, and you know what? He was one of those guys that when he first made the scene, I was like, oh, it's great. You know, like, I just, yeah, it's awesome. From one paladin to another, like, this is great. Look <laughs> at us. And then he just straight up, this person, like, had this thing with, like, Rhaenyra, and all of a sudden, it's like his entire world got completely fucking damaged. You know, like he just became a total fucking nut job. Like, of course, that was already in him. It just never came out. But it's like, look, dude, I mean, you got to sleep with the princess. Like, what what else can any other paladin fucking ask for in life? You know, as opposed to just dying on the battlefield. And it's like, you got one of those things. Now you can go out to battle and die. And then you had the perfect life. But he's, no, I'm just going to go. I'm just going to turn straight up piece of shit. You know? yeah, and the worst and part is, is he, he thinks he's the good guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he thinks he's the good guy. Exactly. And that's. That one just pisses me off. Sir Cole of Nice Guy Slaw, TM. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, that's what it is. He's a nice guy, right? He regrets that one thing, that one time he did the bad mm-hmm. thing and slept with Rhaenyra and broke his Kingsguard vows. And then he was going to run away with her, of course. Like, then he was going to literally break all of the vows, right? It wasn't just the, I'm not going to have sex vow, which a good number of the Kingsguard break over the years. He's not alone in this. He's not just going to break that vow. He's going to abandon his post. And that's okay, as long as Rhaenyra will come with him. And I think in his warped mind, he believed that if they ran away together, he is still protecting her. And that is what his job originally was supposed to be, because he was her sworn sword. So... The second she's like, well, no, I'm supposed to be queen. I can't do that. We can still, like, fuck every once in a while. He's like, I want to be your friends with benefits. I'll have you, all of you, or nothing. And so that's the road that he takes. But not only does he take that road, he takes it to the next extreme by just becoming this, like, Alicent Stan times a thousand. Look, let, let me tell you what I hate about him so much. And like any character you hate the most in anything that you watch is that you see a little bit of yourself in them. And when I see fucking Sir Cole of fucking house fucking dumpster fire, like there's a bit of me in it. Like I'm like, you know what, dude, you know what I hate so much about him is because he reminds me of like a 16 year old Manny. It's like wow, you just fucked around with this fucking girl, right? And she was just like, oh, no, I'm just fucking looking to hang out and like whatever. And you fuck- and all of a sudden I'm like, no, but I'm in love with her now, you know? And now we're going to be together forever now. And instead of just waking up to the fact where it's like, bro, look, you had a good time. It could have been like just a cool thing and just like forget about it. But no, you had to go like full on like nice guy incel neck beard over it. And you just fucked it up. Fuck that guy. Yeah, he's extra spicy. And particularly when he is like, I'm doing it for Allison's honor. And Allison's over here just like, y'all, my honor is fine. Please just calm, calm, calm down, calm down, calm down. But still, she's like, it's okay. You didn't do anything wrong. You literally just murdered a guy in the small council room. Like, but you, you, you didn't do anything wrong. But maybe just calm down for like a second. Yeah, like my honor is fine. Please don't bash anyone's head in anymore. We're trying to actually get shit done here. The, you know, the one, the one was fine, but don't do it again. 
yeah, don't do it again. Like, we get it. Okay, you mean business. Okay, we all got the message now. Go sit down, you know, take a sip out of your bottle, have a nap, and then, you know. I just love how, like, Twitter and social media has just, like, united to hate that guy. And I think it resonates with a lot of women because a lot of women have been in the situation where they, you know, someone's really nice and super into them. And the moment you turn them down, it's all like, fuck that bitch. And then all of a sudden it's like, face off turns into a completely different person and i think that resonated with a lot of people yeah and like i said it resonated with me because i feel like when i was like a teenager like i'm obviously not like that now but when i was a teenager i felt like i had like that kind of vibe and and i always hated it and you know and as i got older i hated that part of me when i was younger so now i'd like to get to see this guy and there's a part of you where you're like oh gosh that is me when i was a teenager i fucking hate that guy you know Yeah, I wish I could say that I only experienced that when I was younger, or even say like I only experienced it in relationships, but I've experienced it in both friendships and relationships where, to be fair, I think the friendship thing was still like guys who felt like I belonged to them because they had a thing for me, most likely. I don't know for sure, but let's be real, probably. And yeah, I agree, Ashley. It's it's definitely something that resonates with women because we're way too used to it scarily used to it but that said as much as we're used to it we also i think particularly in the past like 10 15 20 years even have learned that it's not our fault when these guys become this way unfortunately in this situation it has really come back to bite Renera in the ass a whole bunch because this isn't modern times so that said, then we have, on the other hand, good for you, Lord Commander Westerling, for removing that white cloak and walking out rather than, you know, going off to do a whole bunch of murder at good old Otto's behest. I mean, I, I honestly can't believe Otto was like, uh, so Lord Commander Westerling, take your men and go go murder Renera and her family. That was brazen, even for good old Otto. I I misunderstood that scene because I was confused. Like, why is he sending them to Dragonstone, or or are they, is he going there to announce the king's death and you know give them? Like, I did, I did, it didn't click for me that he was trying to send them to kill him because that seemed like such a ridiculous idea that it didn't even cross my mind. Yeah, he said something like, "Make it quiet, do it carefully, do it quietly, whatever." And I was sitting there just like. Are you seriously asking the Lord Commander of the King's Guard to gather his men and go murder the king's daughter and brother and their children are related like to each other and to Viserys like six ways from Sunday? So I don't know what all the connections are there off the top of my head, but there's a lot of relations there and you're just asking the Lord Commander of the Kingsguard to go do a bunch of murders. With that scene, I really connected with it because that's exactly the angle I would have played. I would have just taken off my cloak and been like, look, when you guys figure it out, call me up and I'll like do whatever. Because it's like, and or or the other side of me is like, oh, you want me to go kill them in their sleep like a snake? Because you think that that's what, uh, you know, you do you think that we're like Sir Cole piece of shit over here? That, that that's the kind of game that we play? Like, now I'm going to take all of your heads right now and then we'll just kind of see where they fall and see who becomes king when all your heads are on the floor so i definitely i really liked that you know like i I'd really like that he was just like no nope, just figure it out and then give me a ring you know and then we'll figure it out 
And, and I love how everyone looked at each other. I was like, are, are you going to do something about that? Are you going yeah, like, to stop like, them? Like, are yeah. you really going to do something? Yeah. Again, this isn't this poor sputtering old glory. Poor Beesbury. Yeah, poor Beesbury. Yeah. Again, rip Lord Beesbury. Thank you for your attempted service to our queen. Renera, yeah. I'm guessing we're all team black here. So <laughs> yeah. at least for right now, we're all team black here. And thank you for your service to our queen, you poor, poor old dude. But wow, just especially with what happens later, it's interesting that they just let him walk out because we also never see him again. And I've seen a lot of comments online. I don't know the actor's name off the top of my head, but like the guy from Outlander, this guy's a big actor. And they're like, oh, he had such a small part to play. And I'm like, do you really think this dude is just gone? Yeah. Like just because he took off his white cloak and walked out of that small council meeting does not mean that he is gone forever. And that's all I'm going to assume. Now, speaking of letting him walk out, though, hot take number three, it bends the knee or it gets the noose. I was really yeah. trying for a Silence of the Lambs thing here, but because we don't really know what happens with Lord Merriweather and Lady Fell quite yet, as far as I know, I couldn't quite make it work as well as I wanted to. But really, shout out to those loyal lords and ladies who stood their ground. What I do want to ask, because again, like I just said, I'm not quite sure... Do we think all of them had the same fate or was it only Lord Caswell who they made an example of because he tried to escape and the others are just in the dungeons because there's vague references to what happens in Fire and Blood and we only saw Lord Caswell hanging from the rafters in the courtyard. What are y'all's shout outs to the people who had the fucking courage and strength to not bend the knee? to fucking good old auto by the way because that's who they're bending the knee to baby gone ain't even there he's off no crying problem. in a fucking child fighting pit somewhere or something i mean i kind of see it as a dumb move like i i do stand with them but at the same time bend the knee didn't fight the war tomorrow exactly how i would have played it i would have been and like oh yeah sure you're the king and then take off yeah but i understand their honor is a big thing in this community and it seemed like it was older people too that were standing and were maybe less worried about their lives. I don't think that they were killed because it would make more sense to hold them as hostages. Yeah, well, I think them being older was more about they are the ones who were there and actually heard Viserys's word and bent the knee for Rhaenyra willingly. They knew this was the king's choice because the younger ones, as we know, it's been 20 years since... Viserys mm -hmm. brought Rhaenyra in front of everyone and said, this is my heir, swear fealty to her. So I think that it's probably more about them being the ones who remembered actually kneeling and swearing their fealty to Rhaenyra. I mean, Lord Merriweather specifically says, I am no oath breaker. So he is for sure the one who made that oath. And let me tell you how hard it was to figure out who the fuck that lord was because there's nothing about what they're wearing that says anything i had to dig through the imdb all cast and crew wow i googled other recaps and stuff and all of the other recaps either just said this guy and lady fell didn't bend the knee and i'm like how do you how did you not 
okay, well, I guess I'm going to have to do my own fucking homework. <laughs> no one else. And I, I took out Fire and Blood and I read through like 30 pages, skimmed through 30 pages real quick, like trying to find if it said the names. If they did at some point, I missed it. I just Google searched the specific episode IMDb page and dig through the cast and crew and be like, oh yeah, that old guy, that was him. Lord Merriweather. Good for you, Lord Merriweather. I don't know. Like, I watched that scene, and I actually went back and watched it a few times. Because, I, didn't, you know, like, I understand they're old. They have to, like, you know, stand their ground and say, you know. But I think I'm a little more sneakier like that. Like, I would have, I mean, in all honesty, I, I would be hanging in the courtyard right now. <laughs> you know, like, eh, that probably would have been me. Fake bending the knee and then trying to escape later. And then trying to escape. But, you know, I wouldn't have done it when I was, like, that old. So maybe I could have, like, actually scaled the wall or something and not made a big deal. Or, like, oh, open the door, you know? And, like, all this shit. I mean, he was kind of asking for it. I feel like he was... <sighs> He was smart about it, but not smart about trying to leave so soon. He should try to sneak out as a servant or something. Yeah. Yeah. But he's a high lord, so he didn't think that. And I also just want a side note. House Merriweather's words are, behold our bounty. And their sigil is a cornucopia with a whole bunch of, like, fruits and vegetables spilling out of it. So... Listen, I get why they didn't want to specifically sh try to show House Merriweather's sigil on this guy's cloak, but also I want to see somebody wearing a fucking doublet with that shit just embroidered on it. I want to see that cornucopia <laughs> with the bounty and with a sign that says, I am not an oath breaker. I guess I'm on the other side of things where I would be like, fuck you. I ain't kneeling to this baby child asshole who's not even here because that's a, that's the other thing you're not even kneeling to Aegon to baby gone you're kneeling to good old Otto and yeah. no I don't trust good old Otto at all no but I guess like when they bring Lord Caswell in after he tries to escape and there uh I think it's Otto says you know, just take him to the king's justice which also fuck Laris Littlefooter over here for oh God. he was the one that caught Caswell and again we gotta rip Lord Caswell like spill a little bit out for Lord Caswell because him and Beesbury are they tried real hard they tried they definitely tried hot take number four games are afoot with the not so buddy buddy cop duos Oh, you thought I was going to go there already? No, no, no. The foot stuff comes later. <laughs> For real, though, we had two not-so-buddy-buddy cop scenarios happening at the same time during the Amazing Race Baby Gone edition. We have... Eric, a.k.a. Twin 1, and Arik, a.k.a. Twin 2, searching for Baby Gone on Otto's behalf. And they're constantly having these little tiffs about who and what Baby Gone is and him not being fit to rule, which is mostly Twin 1 telling Twin 2, Aegon is not fit to rule, and Twin 2 being all like, not my job to judge, literal bro literal bro because they're twins uh -huh. now then we have sir cole of house law and amond who are getting along a little bit better but i just have to say this we're gonna go back and talk about the twin one and twin two stuff before we really get into Kristen and amond's search but 
Well, Kristen and Amond maybe getting along better than the twins. I just want to say, Amond, my dude, it might be real stupid to almost straight up tell this member of the King's Guard, who is your mother's sworn sword or sworn shield i'm not sure what they refer to it as in this series because i don't think they've actually said it out loud that you're better suited to be king because you've been doing the things and studying the things and actually want it he was like i should be and then he stopped himself and it's like "Mm, this might not be the best route for you to take my dude. Thoughts on the first not so buddy buddy cop duo scenario with twin one and twin two? I really liked it. I, I don't recall this in the books at all. If I might be re- mistaken, but I'm pretty sure this was for the benefit of show watchers. They changed some things, but I think for the better. I mean, we have an account from Mushroom that puts Aegon in a really bad light, and this is puts him in a really bad light, but it's. I don't know, makes me want to puke a little less, I guess, maybe, ish, 10, no, actually, no, I hate him in both situations, I don't know. The show is making him, he's still a shitty ass dude, right? But they're making him look a little better than the book does, because in the book, he is literally just straight up hanging out in these fighting pits, watching children maul each other. And knowing that's a place that he goes is already just super bad and like having him just not be there is probably like ugh. like i guess it makes him look a little better but you know he still goes there all the time so it's like all right meanwhile aemon is just thinking he's off at the street of silk and (laughs) but no what i was referring to was actually a a situation involving a 12 year old in fire they find him watching the flea bottom fighting pits children and he is being pleased by a 12 year old girl oh god it's it's gross yeah Yeah, it's really bad and i know it's kind of like oh it's game of thrones it's fine so i'm really glad the show didn't go there honestly yeah Yeah. the picture we're supposed to get there is that he goes to the pits to watch the fights but they're they're leaving out that worst part of it it's still bad but they're leaving out that he goes there and is given sexual favors and like he gets off by getting sexual favors while watching these children fight it kind of feels like you know like let's just have them also drowning puppies like it's kind of you know just more and more on top of each other of just being like okay we get it he's horrible yeah yeah Yeah. don't need to see it i really feel like the show has done a really good job on bringing like a balance to like storytelling to where as game of thrones would have had no problem showing you that they would have just been yeah here it is totally gross be grossed out by it but i think one thing i think i've always said about the writers about this show is that they just do a lot with a little bit you know where they just kind of put that seed in your head and then your brain takes it into a completely like you just know what's going on and you're like oh my god it's fucking disgusting and it makes me more mad because it's like i didn't have to see it i already know what's fucking going on mm-hmm. i'm fucking pissed about it and i think that's that's where these writers are doing so fucking good as much as i liked fucking game of thrones there's a part of me that i'm like dude this show is way more solid way more solid because they let my brain do the work it's not feeding me anything they're just showing things and your brain goes there and you're like oh they trust the fans intelligence honestly they trust the fans intelligence perfect yes and they do show the little bastard boy briefly the twins glance at him and twin one is like yeah it's exactly what you think it is but 
we don't see him fight. But you know he's fighting because he's there, right? And that's why you're so <sighs> mad about it. They don't have to show it, but you know it's fucking happening. Great on the writers. Great. And the fact that we have an Eric and Arik and they haven't changed their names. Yes! Even though I'm calling them Twin One, the good twin, aka the twin who clearly supports the blacks and twin to Arik who I wouldn't necessarily say he supports the greens. I think he's just more attached to his vows as a Kingsguard member to support whoever is, I guess, in the red keep and on the iron throne, which doesn't really say much for him. But yes, I, I like that they didn't change their names. They're still twins. I was worried. I was like, is this a Lindsay Lohan parent trap situation? <laughs> no, this, these are actual twins who are actors. So they are actually two people. And I looked that up because I was like, I really wanted to make a fucking parent trap joke. <laughs> <laughs> but I can't do it because they are actual twin actors who are playing these roles in Fire and Blood. And I'm not going to go far ahead or anything like that. But we see it already in this episode that they are split in their beliefs. And I like that we got that actual back and forth between the two of them where twin one the one who defects essentially we're gonna quote unquote that defects because let's be real does he he's been the one who's been assigned to guard baby gone and he is like dude is a piece of shit not only is he unfit to be king he is like a disgusting person i also get where his brother is coming from because he's coming from a place of blindness where he hasn't seen that firsthand the way twin one has but at the same time he hears it from his twin brother who you'd think he would trust and he sees things when they go to the fighting pit he sees what's happening there he sees the little bastard boy who's obviously one of Aegon's bastards and he still is just, eh, whatever, I'm gonna just, this is my job. My job is to protect the king, and this is the king because somebody's telling me it's the king. Cool story, bro. That said, meanwhile, we have the other, I mean, I would say the twins are like the not-so-buddy-buddy cop duo, and Aemond and Sir Cole of House Law are like a slightly less not-so-buddy cop duo because... They did choose to go out there together. Allison requested, aka kind of ordered Kristen to go search for him, but Amond insisted on joining him. So they're they're not unfriendly with each other or anything like that. Amond, I mean, first of all, obviously he doesn't know his brother as well as he thought he did. He was already judging his brother, and then he finds out even worse things along the way. I really feel like that was super brazen of him to just be like, Yeah, I should be king to this dude especially. It made me like Aemon. I never thought that I would. <laughs> Seeing that he actually takes being a king seriously. That's the way I see it with him. You're right. You know, there was a part of it that, like, I admired that. Where I was like, okay, this guy wants to be king. And, like, he's done his history research. He's done all that kind of shit. He's taking the role seriously. But I don't know. I, he's still kind of a piece of shit to me. But, yeah, like, he's telling him I should be king. Even when he did his stupid toast and he's, like, toasting everyone and he's, like, into, you know, strength or whatever. Like, yeah, that's the guy who took your fucking eye out. I don't know. There's something real about him. We'll see how it goes. I don't think he's the kind of guy who's going to steal me from Matt Damon. But I, I can kind of feel, like, that vibe from him where I'm like, you know what? He's kind of a no-nonsense person, and I, I can fucking accept that. Like, that's fucking cool. Dean still insists on calling him Damon Jr. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like yeah. Matt Damon. Yep. 
Listen, we know he's not Damon's child, but I guess that's just the Targaryen lineage. Like one of the kids was bound to look like his uncle, <laughs> even though it's not his kid. There's so much incest that like they're all bound to look alike. I'm kind of surprised they didn't use that actor as like one of Damon's kids, honestly, because he looks like him and it would have been a perfect match for it. But I don't know. At this point, I'm not going to question any of the writers so, or any of the <laughs> casting. So. I see Eamon seeing... Cole as being in the pocket of his mom, so he's 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 not worried about Cole trying to make any moves or anything like that. I and I, and I think he thinks he can take them too. So well, yeah, because he did already once, right? Mm-hmm. That is true. Hot take number five is: Well, that was an unexpected request. We get through the not so buddy buddy cop duos, and the twins meet with Masaria. And, of course, good old Otto is with them because Missaria demands her respect. She's not just going to meet with these, like, psh, these king's guard. I want my actual contact. So good old Otto in his crimes cloak because apparently that's just, like, honestly, that's the theme of this episode. Everybody is wearing crimes cloaks. Kristen and Eamon, both of the Cargyle twins, and also good old Otto. So good old Otto and the twins meet with Missaria, and she trades Baby Gon's location for a promise, such as it is, to clean up the Flea Bottom fighting pits. And yes, she got money out of it too, but I thought it was interesting that a character with the nickname The White Worm, not a positive nickname, who is someone the show has clearly been wanting us to side-eye for a while now, is suddenly making this request. I mean, she has been feeding Otto, of all people, information. But now she has this request that makes her seem like she has a more noble purpose. I'm not disagreeing with it. I'm just interested in that. It's not a big twist. It's just a mini twist. But I want to know if you guys saw this coming or expected anything like this, particularly of someone who has basically been working for good old Otto of all people. I don't know, because I just feel like there's just something going on there. There's something more to it. I mean, the white worm is the white worm, you know, like I don't take anything like at face value with that. There's got to be some other motive or something else going on. Yeah, I I feel like they're setting up a character for a payoff, but I don't know what that is yet. Where she's not super, I don't want to say evil, right? Because I don't think we've ever been led to believe that she's evil, but she has definitely been on the side of feeding Otto, of all people, information, which makes her questionable at best. So I was surprised that I assumed there would be a request beyond money. I don't think she actually needs the money, but the fact that she wanted something that was kind of altruistic. I mean, really, that was a good request. Please stop this from happening. It should not have ever been allowed, but the City Watch takes bribes to allow this to continue happening, to allow these children, these poor, and I mean literal poor and often, if not always, orphaned children to grow out their nails and have their teeth filed into points and fight each other in a hit make this stop 
Like, it was very altruistic of her, and this was a good request on her part, but I'm also just a little bit interested in why the show is going there with her. It might have to do with, you know, they're setting her up to be on the greens, and they want her to look sympathetic. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she did straight say, I am the one who is putting your grandson on the throne. But she's doing it with this caveat that I put your grandson on the throne because I have him now. She could kill him. She could not tell them where he is. But she exacts this promise from somebody who she doesn't trust for good reason. And she continues by saying, remember, I am the one who put him there. There's definitely a threat there. Do what I'm telling you to do. Not even asking, not even requesting. Do what I'm telling you to do with the knowledge that I am the one that is allowing your grandson to get put on the throne because she could have killed him. Again, she could have sent him off to Essos or wherever like he wanted to be. I mean, God, when they drag him out from under that altar or whatever the fuck it is in the Sept, he's just like, I want my mommy, but I don't want to be king. I don't want this. Like, oh my God. Listen, as much as we all made fun of John Snow's, I don't want it. This is like baby gone again. (laughs) Yeah, it is the worst. Yeah. Yep. Such a whiny little bitch. Yep. Not even the I want my mommy. Just... Oh my god, you entitled little piece of shit. Good, I'm glad you don't want the throne. You don't deserve it. But also, wow. Wow. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Mayhaps you should have run away from King's Landing a little earlier. Yeah. Yeah. It has to be pretty dumb to not realize that this was what was coming. Yeah, maybe well, just run like farther away, you know, like I'm going to go into the alley over here and hang out and watch the kids fight. Maybe you should have just fucking left the country and he has the money and everything to do it he just didn't because he wants the safety of the keep yep like what would he do on his own really (laughs) get killed exactly get killed exactly (laughs) get robbed and killed i mean he does have a dragon where's you gotta park your dragon somewhere (laughs) yeah exactly minnie's very fond of that i've got to park my dragon over here (laughs) yeah i was gonna park it here you know Hello, fellow peasants. I'm just parking my dragon here for a minute, you know, and uh, I'm going to go beg for change like everybody else. All right. Well, we're finally going to get into it, guys. Oh, my God. Hot take number six. Footgate. Credit to r slash free folk for this term. I know that the free folk subreddit has been right about things before this, but I am still shocked that they were right about this. In other words, Laris Littlefooter continues to be gross. So I only heard about Footgate. And Manny, I, I now regret not informing you of this because I only heard about it like the end of last week. One of my friends was messaging me saying, hey, have you heard about this? And I was like, what? No, I don't follow. Like, listen, I'll be honest. The Free Folk subreddit is problematic at best and has been for a long time they're funny they're funny but problematic so i stopped following them years ago but they were asking me if i had heard about this and i said no i don't know what you're talking about what is this and they were like okay so there's this rumor that laris strong aka the clubfoot has a fetish for feet 
and that Allison, somehow her feet are involved in this. I think they were going with a lot more, like a lot more sexual than it actually was, like where her feet were actually physically involved in the act. And she thought it was okay because she's religious. And it's like that Garfunkel and Oates song, Take It Up the Ass. You, yep. <laughs> you know what I'm I'm going to tell you right now, growing up in the like, christian conservative because that's like that is legit when i heard that song i was like wow that's real guys like i know you're making a joke out of this but that's not that's not fake gosh so they were going with that route it was like take it up the foot because you love the seven (laughs) right (laughs) (laughs) i don't really exactly know how the idea started this past week where they all said this is happening this episode we're gonna see laris littlefooter and i'm using our our name for him not i don't know what they call him we're gonna see laris littlefooter over here like jerking off to allison's feet or on allison's feet or whatever and i told my friend no way I mean, I guess it's not impossible, right? But I don't think it's necessary. Why would they do that? Oh, guess what they did? They did. Also, Allison, girl, what you doing? Viserys is is up there in Westerosi, whatever heaven they have, if it exists, looking down, just like... Looking down at this, yep. Because this has been going on for a long time. This didn't just happen for the first time this week. Exactly. That was my thoughts. I was like, how long has this been going on for that? This is just so normal. so normal when they did that scene. Like I knew something was up and then she like takes off her sock and puts her foot up there. And I'm just like, okay. And then, then I kind of stopped and was like, wait, like, are you trying to seduce him with your foot or something? Like, what do you, what's going on? Like, maybe I'm just reading this wrong. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, I okay. Now I'm glad it. I didn't tell you about the theory. <laughs> yeah. I had no idea. Like, I'm telling you, when that scene came on, like, I didn't know what was going on. Look, I'm just all cards on the table. I like, I don't understand, like, the whole foot fish. I just, I never did at all. And she takes off her sock and I was just like, oh, okay. And then they did that angle shot, you know what I'm saying? Where he's like looking at it. And I was like, oh, no, no, you're just trying to be artsy with that shot. Like, there isn't like a weird foot fetish thing going on here. Because I mean, look, like shit's fucked up in Westeros, but like shit ain't that fucked up, right? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? And then it just like melded on and it was like, look, dude, I knew that you were like a gross piece of shit. You know, this little footer guy. And I was like, I already knew that you were a gross piece of shit, but it's like, bro, now we just sealed the deal. Like you are gross. Allison, like, really, are you really going to like, you're going to just seduce him with your feet? Like, I mean, come on to get like info. Like it was just gross on both sides. Yeah. And I feel like from my part, I don't get the foot fetish thing, but I also don't want to kink shame. Right. But at the same time. No, no. Yeah. The the gross part was that she was obviously not into it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that was and that was a part that grossed it out for me, right? Like so yeah, if you're into that, hey, look, just all cards on the table, good for you. Like that's awesome. She's literally selling her feet for information. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I would say it seems more like being extorted. It didn't yeah. seem like she was buying information, but rather he was still holding the murder of the Strongs over her head. Yeah. Yeah, that might be part of it. I do think that it's still a little bit of her buying information only because of the way he introduced the whole thing where he was like, yeah, I mean, so I know why Pop's good old auto found out 
where baby gone was before you did you want to know i think it's a little bit of both or a I lot have a of, or feeling a lot that when he goes to Otto, he's not asking Otto to take off his shoes. No, 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 no. But that's the thing. He's not, he's not going to Otto. He just well, has. He is now. He has his little whisperers or whatever. I feel like it's a combination of both. It's gross no matter what. And when she took off her shoes and her stockings, whatever, and put her feet up on the table, I was like, oh, okay, this is bad. And then when he was like, but if you want the real info, and she was like, oh, God. And so she, like, turns her head away. Her reaction to it, I think, is what, like, messed me up the most. Because it was just like, ugh. You know she's not into it. And she's just like, ugh. And then that guy's just doing his thing, you know, and it's like, it's sexual exploitation. That's exactly what it was. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. I sometimes browse free folk and I had seen this for weeks and I had dismissed it. Like whenever it came up in a thread, I just, I didn't even read that thread. I just, you know, (laughs) it was like, people have lots of crackpot theories on that site, right? Like it's Mm -hmm. whatever, but it kept coming back. And I was like, they wouldn't do this because Larry's being physically disabled with his foot and then throwing in a foot fetish kind of rubs me the wrong way. I, yep. I, I It feels problematic to me. Yep. Yeah. And that was part of why I was shocked that this was a correct theory because I haven't felt that way about the show. Would I, I have could felt see like, Game of Thrones doing yes, it? Yes, exactly. If this was Game of Thrones, I would have been like, yeah, obviously they're right. And this is going to happen because it's Game of Thrones, but I haven't felt this way about this show until now. And and, and it kind of was like, ugh. again, like not kink shaming. It was the ugh of. It was the ickiness of the situation is what it was. You yeah. know, it definitely wasn't the act of like, yeah, people are into that. That's awesome. Two people are cool. Good for great. You. It was the, yeah, good for you. That's awesome. It was just the ickiness of it, of this situation that I think really made it yeah i was just kind of grossed out that they went there with a disabled person like that just felt wrong to me i mean i'm guessing their aim is we want to make him look like the worst person ever and it also in a small way makes allison look a little more sympathetic because she's also clearly not into it but yeah i don't ever want to see that again i don't think it was necessary for the story at all and that's the first time i've actually felt that way about this show yeah and you know what i'm gonna 100 percent agree with you on that because one thing i've always praised these people show is about doing a lot with a little bit and with this was like the opposite you didn't really have to go that far with it you know like you could have just you could have done that one shot of like the angle of him looking at her foot and been like okay i know what's going on let's move on like let's let's keep going because that's what the writers have done really good with so yeah they saved us from Aegon just to do this yeah exactly <laughs> i don't want to say one thing is worse than the other obviously i feel like the Aegon thing would have been worse but not fond of this choice on their part for several reasons like you said ashley like the fact that okay so this is a disabled person who is a bad guy right he's a bad guy we've seen that from the very start but also i feel like adding this extra sort of they're not picturing it just as a kink just as a sexual proclivity they're picturing it as like a forceful thing that he does and it's like did we really need that like we already knew this guy was a dick well you know what yeah and that's another good point also it's because it's like okay here's this guy who's messed up can't walk he's got a foot fetish 
and he's like a bad person also. So you're automatically associating now, right, with someone that's into this weird kink. And look at how fucking gross he is. And look at how, you know what I'm saying? Like, Listen, I don't get foot fetishes, right? But I'm not going to say everybody with a foot fetish out there is gross. And no. really when you add in that extra level of him having a disability that involves his foot, particularly, mm. it's like, come on, guys. Too much. It's just like a- it's like a weird type of like casting also it's like okay well this guy is fucked up so we're gonna have to give him some kind of like deviancy some type of sexual deviancy Mm -hmm. on top it's like the same reason you watch every fucking disney show right and you always see somebody who's overweight guess what he's the funny guy right he's never the main character that the person falls in love with ever no no he's the funny guy he's the fat one falls down and you know all this kind of crap and i think with with him being kind of handicapped on top of it it kind of feeds into that into that concept you know yeah it felt like lazy writing mm-hmm. yeah lazy writing which is i think the first time i really thought that about the show yeah nine episodes in i mean they're doing pretty fucking good this is the first time that we're kind of yeah. taking a little bit little bit of a dump on them it's like hey you know nine episodes in you're doing pretty good yeah, I thought they've added things in for shock value that didn't make sense when you thought about it too hard, but at least you could kind of wiggle around it. This just, just felt wrong. I didn't like yeah. it. It, it, it. It kind of stopped the flow of like the mm-hmm. way I felt about it. Like this show was just like one thing after another, and it was just great. And this was like a stopping point. It was like getting forced to watch something that you just didn't want to see. So it definitely was like a break in like the uh, flow of storytelling, which I wasn't crazy about. Hot take number seven. Rainy is not cooking all the greens and therefore the entire Dance of the Dragons plot from here on out. This is another thing that I've seen a lot of complaints about in the past not quite 24 hours. People saying, like, why did they do this? I know why they did this, honestly. I don't want to get too much into it because there are book spoilers involved. So I'm just going to say in the most trying not to spoil anything way possible that some of what happened in this scene does lend credence to some future events. That's all. Now that's it in trying not to spoil anything, the way it was portrayed in the show where Rainey's comes bursting through the floor of the dragon pit on Maylee's and she could have roasted them all right then and there. But there was that one look where Allison steps in front of Aegon. To me, it was just that look between mothers. Rainey's has seen as far as she knows, two of her children die. She didn't see them die in person, but she knows Lena is dead. She saw what she believes was Lenor's burned body. So yeah, of fucking course, when she burst through that floor, her main goal was just getting the fuck out of there because she doesn't want to be part of this Green Council bullshit. But even in that moment, I think there was a second where she maybe would have Dracarys the fuck out of the mall. Yeah. But she saw Allison step in front of Aegon and she couldn't do it because she knows what it's like to be a mother who loses her children. Yeah. And again, there would be no plot <laughs> if she burned them all. <laughs> yeah, it would have been the end of the season and the end of the show right there. Exactly, exactly. So I, there was a few takeaways for me on this scene. Was number one, yes, exactly what you said, 100%. She saw two of her 
kids die. One of them was apparently burnt up. And then, yeah, with Allison, you know, getting in, in front of her kid, it's like, yeah, okay, you can see that. Another part of me went to, like, the place to where it's like, you know what, you can kill your enemies, right? But it's better for them to understand why it's wrong for them to fuck with you. Like, it's to, like, send a message. And I think everything about her character is more about sending a message than it is to do anything. Because she's not playing the game, you know? Mm-hmm. She's literally just like a don't fuck with me kind of thing this was the moment where she was looking at like the eye contact was like do you want to fuck around and find out you know or do you want to just let it go and i'm just gonna i'm just gonna walk out of here i just got my dragon from the valet parking and i'm walking out do you want to fucking see what happens walking out all over those small folk (laughs) (laughs) all those small They were just peasants, you know, who cares? What a great character, though, man. The look in her eyes, everything about her was so much power and so much strength where I was like, dude, yeah. I saw her, I'm like, I would definitely be the equivalent of her Kingsguard. Like, that's who I would want to protect, aside from, like, you know, our blessed Rhaenyra. But that would be, you know, who it is. Because, I mean, gosh, man, just so great when you can find, you know, an actress that just says so much with her face you know mm-hmm. it doesn't have to say anything and i just i loved that you know just seeing her on, on top of there because when she first came up i was like oh wait a minute like what happens if she does burn everybody like where does the story go from here so there was a part of me that was just like you know it's game of thrones like you know so to me not reading the books i don't know what to expect right but game of thrones never had a problem just killing off people just that at will just oh yeah we're just gonna kill these people we're just gonna kill these people now so i thought well okay maybe she is going to kill these people. And then the story goes someplace that I didn't, I didn't think it was going to, but the fact that she just kind of just turned around and walked up to me again, the writers or, or George R. R. Martin, if, if that's in the book, I don't know what I was like, that's so much more powerful. You know, it's like, look, I'm not going to kill you, but fuck around, watch what happens. And then gone, you know, loved it. Great scene. It's just, it's such a contrast. Like I was talking to my husband and we kind of hated it just because we're like, she just bursts up, kills up all these peasants, and has a chance. It's it's like I I would have loved it if she just burst out and flew over King's Landing, or maybe mm. uh, yelled at them that Rhaenyra was queen or something on the way out or something. I I just didn't like. They're, they made such a show of how many people that the dragon was just killing, just by being in that domed room. It felt too much spectacle. The, the fucking City Watch is like trying to close the doors and they're all yelling like, open the fucking doors, you idiots. Like, I don't think they were trying to protect the small folk, but that's what they were doing because if they close those doors, she's going to burn everybody in there. Not just the royal family or, well, the so-called royal family. Fuck you, Green Council. <laughs> yeah. Well, she clearly didn't care about innocent people it was fucked up you know like it was messed up but again i think what i just took away from it it was just this is not only a person of like power it's a a person of like purpose you know and it's like this is someone that you don't fuck with period that was the feeling i got from her from that scene and like her character where she's like yeah you know what i'm willing to just walk all over these peasants and just walk out of here and like i don't know she just came off as like She's the kind of person that, like, leave her alone. It's it's like a cat, right? Cats are all great and stuff like that. And so you put them in a corner, right? And, like, mm-hmm. and then at that point, like, you're fucked, you know? And that, I really fell in love with her in that scene. I was like, yeah, that's awesome. 
it's compounded by her earlier scene with Allison, where Allison is just like, just back us and everything will be okay. And Rainey's is like, will it though? You're still a woman who is controlled by men. And that's not going to change. You know, she sees, Rainey sees that no matter how hard Allison is trying and is probably going to continue to try she's never going to control these men it's always going to be the men who rule the kingdom particularly if baby Don takes the throne i did think it was a little bit odd that rainey's asked allison well have you ever seen yourself on the iron throne because i don't actually think that's correct i don't think allison ever saw herself or wanted to be on the throne like that. I think that was a little bit of projection on Rainey. Yes. I agree with that. But she sees the situation for what it is that no matter how much Alicent wants to control the narrative and control what happens from here on out, that it's always going to be the men who actually control things. And... Allison can promise six ways from Sunday that Rhaenyra and her family aren't going to be hurt, but let's be real. It's, it's always like, going to be good Olato in the background. It's Corley's like that illusion of power, you know? Mm-hmm. Corley's. Yeah, he's not going to side with the Greens. <laughs> Fuck no. no. Fuck no. <laughs> in this episode, I'll give Allison this. She said, like, your husband is grievously wounded and, you know, he might die, he might not, which is so hilarious based on episode eight where everybody's all just like Corley's is gonna die who's gonna inherit his seat and this is the whole driving plot point of this episode yep. let his body get cold man you know come on <laughs> <laughs> he's still a warm alive dude yeah exactly <laughs> For fuck's sake calm your tits everybody Corley's is still alive yep well and actually ashley i'm interested that you and keith both hated this because I'm torn on it. I think it's like a book watcher versus a show watcher just because I already see Rainey's as a super badass that I love. I, I didn't need another badass scene. I think for me, it was mostly just giving her a little bit of extra agency because in Fire and Blood, she's really just a background character. So in the show, they have made her a character who has the ability to discuss the serious things with Rhaenyra when she was younger, with Corlys, because he has that ambition that she no longer has. And it gave her that it's no longer just her giving advice. It's her saying, fuck you, I have a dragon too. And that's what I liked about this scene, mm-hmm. particularly because in her scene with Allison, Allison was like, we need your dragon. We need you and we need your dragon to turn the tide, basically. And Rainey's is over here just like, fuck you. You don't have me or my dragon. Maybe I don't burn y'all to death. Like, I'm not making you a crispy greens, but I could. I could have. And keep that in mind. Because also, Maylee's is huge. I mean, not Vagar huge. But Melee's is a big-ass fucking dragon, like way mm-hmm. bigger than Caraxes. It's um, one of the bigger ones in yeah. the world. I want to say Melee's is Maybe probably second, second only to Vagar, yeah. So now she has taken the second biggest dragon out of King's Landing in a big, fuck y'all, I'm out. <laughs> I mean, I, I would have loved the fuck y'all, I'm out scene. I just didn't like the <laughs> burst through, kill a ton of little yeah. folk, and, and then, you know, let 
Aegon live when she could have taken them out. But again, what are you going to do if she had taken them all out? <laughs> yeah, no story. <laughs> there would be no season two. Well, I think it is time, last but not least, for our favorites roundup. I did like Allison being sad. I, I feel like she did love Viserys. And like the death of someone that close to you would affect you, even if you are kind of scheming against them. I like family stuff like that. To be fair, I don't know that she specifically was scheming against him. She straight yeah. up believed that he changed his mind at the end. But yes, I agree. I think she loved him in her own way. Mm-hmm. I liked seeing Eric and Arik because I do not remember too much about them from the books. And I like seeing a them having personality and the back and forth between them. I thought that was really good. I don't know that there's any back and forth between them in the book. It's literally yeah. just one chooses one side and one chooses the other. We're just supposed to believe there are good reasons for it. And I really liked Eamon's characterization of not making, painting him as like a pure villain and kind of showing us more of a, that he's a real person kind of thing with his own thoughts and feelings and not necessarily just, I hate those guys. I'm going to kill them for my eye situation. <laughs> My eye situation. <laughs> yeah, Rainy's taking up on the dragon. Sorry. <laughs> I know that's probably just like the typical two-dimensional way to look at Yeah, cool dragons, man. Like whatever. <laughs> I think the fact that that scene happened and then we all have very different viewpoints on it goes to show like how we all take something very different from the scene. Because some people are like, oh yeah, she should have totally have just burned the family but what i took from it is like no you don't because it's about just sending a message and that makes her character to me so much more powerful than just somebody who would have just been like yeah burn them all yay i win so i I really think that that scene was a great warning right it's like the bull you know the bull eats grass does the bull need horns to eat grass no it doesn't it just has the horns to like hey fuck around watch what happens fuck around find out i'm just trying to eat grass but you want to you want to come at me I mean, obviously, my favorite scene was the mobile. Egg. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> of course, it was. <laughs> no, it was eight. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, Hot take number eight. <laughs> this one was really, really difficult for me, and I'm gonna choose a wild card. Wild card only because it was super brief and we haven't actually talked about it in our hot takes, and it was only briefly referenced in our summary, but. When Alicent goes to look for Aegon and she goes to Helena's chambers, she sits down with Helena and she just says, your father. And Helena turns to her and she says, there's a beast beneath the boards. And it's like really creepy. And listen, I feel as if Helena's weird asides are maybe always going to be my favorites, at least for now. But what the fuck is there's a beast beneath the boards like what does that mean again this is something that we've talked about in previous episodes where she's clearly supposed to be not what we read of her in fire and blood which is just a simple i don't mean simple as in stupid but a simple person who is married to Aegon and is like god i'm stuck with this asshole and i'm gonna have his kids but they're giving her a little bit of extra by putting her kind of in that Danny's the dreamer role Mm -hmm. where she is giving these like prophecies and she essentially said Aegon was going to lose his eye before he lost his eye. And this beast beneath the boards thing, it could have been a reference to good old Otto with 
his spies, but I'm kind of hoping it means something else. I also like that she was just sitting there cross-stitching a spider on her little ring, and yeah. it looks like a fucking Spider-Gwen, yep. Spider-Man spider. <laughs> I was just like, mm. I need to see this cosplay. I need to see Helena as Spider-Gwen at Ice Empire <laughs> yes. 2023. <laughs> yes. The uh, first time I heard her say the beast beneath the divorce, I thought that maybe she was referring to, like, spies. And now I'm wondering if maybe that was it, because she did cut off her mother from saying something that spies would want to hear. Yeah, that was kind of my first thought as well. But honestly, like, I feel like that's almost too simple, because we already knew, we as viewers already knew that Otto was having Allison yeah. spied upon by Talia, right? And then we've had visuals of rats, and then this episode we had references to spiders, so I guess that really doesn't really fit in with the beast kind of narrative. Yeah, the, the beast thing is what throws me. But, I mean, you could be right. It could have just been a simple, your dad's got people spying on you thing, but I hope not, honestly. I, I hope this show is smarter than that, because even previously, when she basically said Amond was going to lose his eye before he did anybody who hasn't read the books wouldn't know that so what i'm looking for is this is like some sort of deep pocket reference that even myself who has read fire and blood three times has maybe missed and it could even just be such a deep pocket reference that no matter how many times you read fire and blood you'd miss it anyway i feel like it's going to be hard for me to choose anything other than a helena moment for my favorite things and Again, I loved the Rainies thing in my own way, but I think her stomping on all the small folk, I mean, just exploding up through the floor and you see like bodies flying and then Maylees is just like, Burr! like he might not be dracarising these people, but he's still just stomping out like, fuck you guys. <laughs> I, w I would much rather get the fire than get stomped on. So it's like, dude, just just burn me, okay? But please don't have your dragon stomp on me, you know? I don't know. I think she was just doing one of those things, you know? When you get, like, if you're, like, in your car and then people start fighting in the middle of the street, you're like, oh, I don't feel safe. I'm getting the fuck out of here. You don't care who you run over. You're just like, I need to get the fuck out of here. As we close out this episode... We just want to give a shout out to our heroes tier patron, Tommy of the TKOK Podcast Network. Thank you so much for supporting us. And thank you to Ashley and to our listeners for joining us for Hot D Takes. Minnie and I will be back next week with two new guests to cover House of the Dragon season finale, The Black Queen. Thank you for listening to the Geek Saga podcast. If you like what you heard, please check out other Geek Saga entertainment endeavors, including the Sagas and Sass webcast and podcast and Ice and Fire Con.